you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. I'm your host, John Siegley. I'm joined, as always, by Sean Moran and Sheryl McMillan. Guys, it is a beautiful sunny day outside, at least here in Chapel Hill. Hope that you are having a good day out there in California, Sean. Unfortunately, UNC basketball still has some gray skies above it. UNC lost to Louisville yesterday. So let's go ahead and start the conversation there. I'll be honest, I watched very, very little of this game just because I kind of knew going in what the result was going to be. And I just had a ton of work to do as well and couldn't really carve out the time. But Sherelle, you and Sean both mentioned that that you guys watched a good portion of this. So let's just get the general thoughts on this games and, and maybe some of the key takeaways, if there are any that, you know, UNC fans may feel a bit positive about going into the NC State game on Tuesday. Sean, let's start with you for that one. That's a tough, tough first question, John. I would say the positive was was Andrew Playtech leading the team with 138 offensive rating and and hitting two out of three threes. But overall, I think when everybody heard that Garrison Brooks and Justin Pierce were going to be out, uh, you know, any any upset hopes kind of went out the window at that point in time. And you know, the the game started off off pretty slow with UNC struggling to score. And then same thing to start the second half, where I think it was, you know, the good first five minutes, they were stuck on 23 points. So overall, it was it was fairly rough to watch. Um, you know, I think Cole Anthony had some some moments which we can talk about. But overall, I mean, it was kind of a going back to the Wake Forest game, uh, one of their worst offensive games and just you kind of saw the the lack of talent and the lack of scoring ability um, for players to do, you know, to do things. And, you know, Louisville, who is a, a top 10 team, I didn't necessarily think that they were that great. Um, you know, watching Jordan Nawara, you know, it, it was kind of watching him. You're like, man, I wish UNC had a guy like that that can just make shots and, and create and, and do things. Uh, but I mean, overall, they weren't, terribly impressive but at the same time UNC only had nine offensive rebounds 28 27 percent from three and uh you know hopefully Garrison Brooks is back for NC State or else that'll most likely be a loss at the Dean Dome what about you Sherelle when you were watching the game and I know that you did the post-game podcast with Tommy already but you know kind of now that you've had maybe a little bit more time to think back what were some of the other things that you noticed in that matchup against the Cardinals Oh, I haven't thought about it since the game ended, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, you know, Cole, yeah, Cole Anthony did play well. He, he did look, start to look as advertised. Um, I think what surprised me the most was just how much the offense struggled without Garrison Brooks. Like, we've seen North Carolina be a functioning, uh, you know, functioning to average offense without Cole Anthony. But without Garrison Brooks, they looked completely inept, you know, um, 
Armando Baycott just wasn't able to fill in for, for what Brooks has brought this season. So uh, I think that probably is my biggest takeaway, if I'm being honest, looking a day later. It's just that he is that vital um, to North Carolina doing what it wants to do offensively and maybe even more vital than Cole Anthony at this point. Uh, that doesn't particularly mean anything since there's nothing left to accomplish in the season. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting um, that, you know, six months ago we talked about how they couldn't you know lose Cole Anthony and without Cole Anthony they went on the road and beat NC State you know um, I thought that was just surprising that Garrison Brooks seems to be more of the piece that they can't win without um, you know uh, instead of Cole Anthony just a little surprising yeah, I think, you know, in terms of, of Cole Anthony, a lot of us, and it was on the the message boards, but there was an article on The Athletic uh, that dealt with a lot of uh, insight from NBA scouts in terms of, of what they thought of Cole Anthony in terms of, you know, what he was doing well. Uh, a lot of them liked that he, that he came back, but, you know, what were his deficiencies in terms of his, his overall three-point percentage, his assist-to-turnover ratio? Uh, is he a top five? player anymore top 10 um you know and i think part of that is is expectations i mean he played well on the eybl circuit uh but once again it was kind of a a weak class so he comes in rated number three but you know you don't really fully get to know how good a player is until they they do it on the college level so i think a lot of it was expectations but watching him it was the first time in a while you know you've seen oh wow you know that's a move that you would imagine a top 10 player would make. I think in the first half when he, he drove to the, drove to the basket. Um, I know he always likes to jump into the defender and most of the time they don't call a foul and he ends up having to force a tough shot. But this time he went straight into the, um, I'm not sure if it was Williams or somebody else straight into his body, took the contact, didn't get the call and finished it. And then the next possession, he got to the basket as well. So it was nice seeing him get to the basket. And I thought those were, you know, moves that people would expect of Cole Anthony or kind of a top five prospect. Then you add in uh, the two threes he, he hit in a row in the second half. And, you know, some of those snippets I thought were really impressive and and showed the potential that he has. Um, now, he also had the turnovers and some force shots, but it was the first time probably since the, you know, maybe some of the Duke game or maybe the Oregon game where, you know, you really saw the Cole Anthony that a lot of people were expecting. So I think Sherelle made an interesting point there about Garrison Brooks arguably being more valuable to this team than Cole Anthony at this point. You know, with the game against NC State coming up on Tuesday, Sherelle, does Carolina realistically have a shot at that one if Garrison is still out hurt? Yeah, I I think so. There are other dynamics at play when it comes to North Carolina and NC State that don't necessarily um, have to do with physical ability or efficiency or any of those things. Um, but, and I want to be careful. I'm not trying to, to diss Cole Anthony or anything. It's more saying that I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by how much Garrison Brooks has integrated himself and made himself uh, a key component of Carolina's offense this year. I think that is a welcome development in a season full of sorrow. Um, you know, for a while we talked about how, um, you know, uh, Jerry, uh, I was about to call him his dad, Jerome, uh, Jeremiah Francis and Anthony Harris. The fact that those two guys came back from injury and for a couple of games there, they were playing really good basketball. And it was like, okay, well, you know, this changes the calculus moving forward about North Carolina's backcourt. 
unfortunately, both have succumbed to some degree uh, to injuries. So that wasn't something you could look forward to because I think both of their futures are kind of unknown at this point, considering their injury history. So it was like, so what's the what's the silver lining? What is the light at the end of the tunnel? And I think more and more it's becoming apparent that Garrison Brooks is someone who you can throw the ball into and say, go get me 20 points because um, he's done it, you know, several times this season. And uh, so when, when I say I, I was it's surprising how much Garrison Brooks has become like an invaluable player, um, it's not at the expense of Cole Anthony. It's more so just that I, there were questions about whether Garrison Brooks can do that. And he answered those uh, this season. Yeah, I think Brooks, you know, when you look at the season, Brooks has been kind of the the star in terms of watching his improvement. And I think yesterday and, you know, really on any of these podcasts and any of the games, the close losses, you know, I've been pretty upbeat in terms of next year's outlook. And I think for me, I, I is probably the most pessimistic I've been in terms of what, you know, watching the Louisville game and thinking about next year. And the reason I say that was, you know, Brooks was, Brooks was out, but hopefully he'll be, be coming back. But you watch Louisville and they had two freshmen and David Johnson and then Samuel Williamson that, that played well. And most likely they'll be coming back along with, um, you know, potentially Malik Williams and maybe Darius Perry. So you saw more on the freshman side, you saw two guys that are playing well and will be coming back versus UNC, you have Keeling and Pierce gone. You have Cole Anthony gone. Um, and in terms of returning, you know, returners, you have Brooks, and then you have Leakey, Armando, and Playtech. And Play, Playtech played pretty well. And I think that would ideally be what he could, you know, not give every game, but that's kind of his role of coming in off the bench and hitting some shots and making a few key plays. But you know, kind of not to pile on, but, you know, watching Leakey four points in 34 minutes, four rebounds and two assists. And, you know, when you're playing 34 minutes and, and you're giving that, you're really kind of a minus on offense. And ne- looking at next year, UNC's four recruits, uh, point guard, combo guard and two bigs, you know, Leakey's going to have to play a big role again at the wing spot unless something else happens. And, you know, for me, I think he'll definitely improve, but I see him more as kind of a seventh, eighth man rather than, you know, another starter. So, uh, you know, I think he needs a significant improvement and needs to make a big jump. And then you have Armando who top 30 recruit. So, you know, not, not really expecting him to set the world on fire. And I think we've seen good things from him, but at the same time, uh, you know, struggles to make a hook shot outside of five feet consistently. He doesn't have a jump shot yet. And, there's going to be two more big guys coming in and Sharp and Kessler. But, um, you know, watching Louisville, I kind of thought their future was a little brighter just given who they had playing and who they have returning of the players rather than UNC who's going to have a lot of incoming freshmen and and really only Brooks um, as kind of the main main returners, I'd say. Um, you know, I, I'll try to, to bring some sunshine to, <laughs> to, to part the rain clouds. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think what people have to realize about Leaky Black is that he, um, has never been the type of person who is going to take over a game. Um, that's just not how he's played. And 
I know some people struggle with that because they see him as, you know, the six, eight guy who's, you know, decently athletic and who just looks the part and they can't reconcile with the fact that he doesn't go out and take 15 or 20 shots a game, but that's just not his mindset. That's not who he is, who he has been, or who, who frankly, who he will ever be. Um, what he is though, I, I think, and, you know, he needs a more defined role. I think the numbers that Adrian Atkinson has put out kind of shows um, that, you know, he can't be a small ball four. That's not going to happen. So next year, provided that everyone stays healthy, he won't have to do that. So that takes a little bit off his plate. Um, and, you know, next year, provided that everyone stays healthy, he won't have to play, uh, you know, back up the point guard spot or even start games, multiple games at point guard. So that takes some stuff off his plate. He can focus on being the best possible three that he can be. And I think, him as a three, I think he's if he's your fourth or fifth, you know, kind of, you know, best player or, or starter, I think you're okay. I think the issue is that his, you know, he's had to have, he hasn't have, he hasn't had a high usage rate, but he's had to play a lot of minutes. And I, I think that's the issue is that there's just no one who can do all the things he can do. And because of that, he's playing kind of filling in the box, wherever there's a hole he fills in. I think next year, you know, the hope is that he can settle in, at the three exclusively, you know, maybe just a few minutes here or there as as a two or one, but, you know, pretty much exclusively at the three and that he can, you know, kind of build his game from there. He's good when he's playing with, you know, guards who are are aggressive, bigs who can score. And that way he can kind of blend in as opposed to someone who you're asking to go get, you know, 10 points and five rebounds and four assists. Um, Cause you know, he's just, again, he's not, he's not that kind of player and, and the mindset, I don't think, you know, style of play is, is really going to change. I think he can be more efficient in what he is and what he does well. So that is a hope for next year. You know, he hasn't shot it from three. He hasn't shot it horribly. It hasn't been great, but it's not, it's not, you know, we're not in the 25 or 24% or anything like that. So you would hope that he can improve in, in that regard. Um, and then, you know, he'll have Puff Johnson more than likely as the other wing behind him. Um, you know, and I think that is in, that's a solid, that's a solid base for your for your three spot for North Carolina next season. Now, as Sean said, you know, you know, freshmen coming into North Carolina, there is a bit of a learning curve, but we've seen freshmen, you know, play extremely well, start a lot of games. So I, I, to me, I see this, um, I guess we can call it rebuild, as more of a two-year deal than a one-year deal. Um, there, there's a chance that some players from the freshman class of 2020 will go pro after a season, but I'm of the belief that um, the majority of the class, which is at least three, will be back for a sophomore year. So I think you see that next season, their sophomore year is a year. North Carolina's back as, you know, one of the top two or three teams in the country with a chance to win a national championship. Um, it takes a little bit, you know, coming off of a, a season like this where you lose uh, t- in two consecutive seasons, off seasons, they've lost Theo Pinson and Joel Berry and Cam Johnson and Luke May and Kenny Williams and Nasir Little and Kobe White. That's just in two seasons. Um, it takes a lot to it takes a lot some time and a lot of players to recover from that. So um, I think next year is the first step. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to predict what this what the record or anything is going to be. I think it's the first step, and I think the second year is when they kind of compete again for a national championship. Yeah, I agree with that, Sherelle. And, and I think if you're looking at the wing position in the Roy Williams offense, to me, that is the one role where you can kind of get by with someone who can just go out there and do a job. I mean, Roy Williams, is he has designed his teams to run best when they have elite post play and elite point guard play. 
And so, you know, next season with Caleb Love coming in, I think he is going to do a good job running the point. And then in the post, it really just depends on the decisions that Brooks and Baycott make, because I do fully expect both to to at least test the NBA waters and go through that process, especially now where they can do that, get the NBA feedback and then still come back to school. Frankly, I think that they would be doing themselves a disservice if they did, did not at least go through that. But if both of, the, of those guys come back, especially with the returning talent, you know, I think next year is going to be an improvement. But I, I do think the point you made about it being a two-year job, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, even next year, it's going to be a very, very, very young UNC team. And those are just not historically the ones that kind of are the final four contenders and things like that. Um, if you guys have any other thoughts about, I guess, this season and then that topic of going into next year, go ahead and, and get them out or we can take a quick commercial break and move on to the next topic. What do you guys feel like? No, I mean, I think what Sherelle said makes sense. And, and it's more of a, you know, a, a two year, two year focus rather than a, a one year focus. Um, and ideally with integration of the freshmen coming in next year, mixed in with the returners, um, you know, that creates some positive momentum. And then, you know, you're looking at the next year's recruiting class. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, in terms of the, the wing spot, you know, I, I think it, it will be interesting to see how, how Puff Johnson assimilates himself. I think, you know, Cam Johnson was a late bloomer, so people shouldn't expect Puff to kind of come in and be his brother, but at the same time, he will be the best shooting wing on the team. Um, so he, you know, he potentially provides, uh, some outside shooting for a team that currently is one of the worst in the country. So I think, uh, you know, his development will be pretty interesting to watch next year. All right. Good stuff, Sean. Anything else, Sherelle, or are we good to move on in your eyes, man? I would just say no spots are guaranteed except for Garrison Brooks. I think there's four open spots, you know, when they start, uh, summer and fall practice. So, um, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Guys, let's go ahead then and talk about our friends and longtime sponsors, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. They are where you can go to find anything you could want for the Tar Heel fan in your family. If you're looking for some last-minute winter gear or any of the spring gear, you can head over to their location on Franklin Street, where they have been in business for decades. They have the absolute best customer service as well. So if you're going to be in Chapel Hill for one of the baseball games or one of the remaining basketball games or any other sport going on right now, Make sure that you swing on by Giant T-Shirt there. If you can't make it to Chapel Hill, you can always shop online at GiantT-Shirt.com where you can find the same great customer service and the same great selection. And remember that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders either there on Franklin Street or online at GiantT-Shirt.com. You can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So that's Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. All right, guys, moving on to the next topic for this week's Coast to Coast podcast. Let's go ahead and talk about recruiting. There's a visit going on right now that Roy Williams is is on. He's over there at American University. And I think there were maybe a couple other visits that have happened since the last time we spoke and some more planned. So, Sherelle, kind of where is Roy Williams today? And what are the the latest updates on the, the recruiting trail that you can share with the Inside Carolina podcast listener fan base? Uh, yeah, so he was in Wisconsin uh, earlier this week to see Patrick Baldwin, who is a offered forward um, from Wisconsin. Um, very 
he's a very interesting player. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I'm not frankly sure what his position is. I think, Sean, we can talk about this. I think he is a small forward who in college would play some of that uh, four man, uh, very similar. Yeah. Uh, I hate to use these examples, but very similar to Brandon Ingram and Jason Tatum. Um, I think that's, <laughs> the, that's if that gives you a hint. I think that's the position he is earmarked for. Um, and I think, um, you know, North Carolina is trying to stay in with him. There are other schools that seem to have more momentum. Uh, let's put it that way. So Roy Williams went and saw him. Um, and then today, like uh, John said, he's at American University for uh, Paul the Six. Uh, Trevor Keels is the main player he's there to watch. There's a couple of underclassmen they have on the team. And also um, he'll see DeMatha, who has former Carolina targets, Earl Timberlake and Hunter Dickinson, but also a 2021 wing named Jordan Hawkins, who um, under the phrase UNT is his dream school. And so North Carolina has been checking him out. It's actually the second time. Uh, that Roy's seen him play because he watched him play against uh, Paul the Six earlier in the year. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where Roy Williams is at this week. And then North Carolina had an assistant in Indiana on Friday night to see uh, Trey Kaufman, who is a kind of a um, – I would call him a, like a traditional uh, forward, kind of like a Shane Bahannon type for those who remember him back uh, when he played for Louisville. Uh, so – uh, yeah, they, they've been out on the road and they are working hard on the 2021 class. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like it took a little bit for them to get really started in it. And since January, they've, they've been hitting it pretty hard, I'd say. Well, I like I like the the comparisons from from Sherelle with the, the Hannon and, you know, not a whole lot to to add on that. But, you know, for anybody in the D.C. area of, of going to the WCAC semifinals or finals is always a treat. So. You know, I think for Trevor Keels, who has an offer uh, right now, is his teammate and Jeremy Roach is headed to Duke. Uh, Duke offered him earlier and has some momentum in that recruitment, but uh, you know, it's it's still very early with him. And once again, he's a, a very strong shooter with some good size. So we'll be interesting to see how that recruitment develops as well as uh, if, if anything turns out to, to be with Jordan Hawkins. But yeah, I think, you know, going back to, you know, probably November, December, we were kind of wondering when the 2021 class would really pick up. And, you know, I think right now there, there have definitely been some more offers and they're really starting to watch a lot, lot of other players. And even though some of those guys haven't received offers, that at least plants the seeds for the early spring recruiting period. Um, in April in terms of who they'll be watching and monitoring. So they're starting to cast their their net, um, you know, fairly wide, East Coast and, and Midwest. And, uh, you know, as Sherelle mentioned, staying in it with Baldwin. But this weekend he was at uh, the Duke game and has, has uh, re- you know, received an offer from Duke early on. So with the Tatum and Ingram comparisons, I think that that shows who the leader is and, you know, there's been Walker Kessler and Harrison Barnes and some others that have taken Duke visits and still ended up at UNC. But oftentimes players visit Duke and then they don't end up making it to UNC. So it'll be interesting to see if if Baldwin does does make it out to Chapel Hill. But, um, you know, right now they're they're getting getting their eyes on a lot of players and and hopefully some of that will allow them a focused effort in April. And keep in mind, you know, I'm going to throw out some names and I just want you to tell me if on February, what's today, 22nd of 2019, you knew their names. Christian Keeling? Nope. Uh, Justin Pierce? Yep. RJ Davis? 
Yes, but not not that well. John? That would be a no to all three for me. I'll just be honest. Okay. And then Anthony Harris was signed with uh, Virginia Tech. He was going to yep. go there and play for Buzz Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole Anthony hadn't decided yet. Caleb Love, Roy Williams hadn't seen him live yet. Puff Johnson didn't have an offer. Walker Kessler had just gotten an offer. And Dayron Sharp was committed. The point is, is that a lot can change over a short amount of time, especially as it relates to recruiting. Um, you know, there's, I just named four people who have or will play for North Carolina, who I personally had no idea who they were a year ago. And I think I follow this stuff more closely than most people. Um, so I, I think that shows you that there are names to be added, names to be seen, um, and that the the sense of, of uh, I don't know if you want to call it the the sense of regret or, or fear or fretting or whatever you want to call it, that we have outside of the Smith center is much stronger than it is inside. Um, you know, sure. They're, they're concerned and they want to add players, but they always feel like, you know, they have more information. They always feel like they're kind of where they need to be. Um, so in saying that, you know, there are players who don't have offers right now um, who North Carolina has, you know, paid a good amount of attention to. There's Eric Vanderheiden um, from Raleigh. There's Dontre Styles uh, from uh, down in uh, Kinston. Uh, so there are a few players like that who North Carolina is looking at. There's a few players who they're starting now to evaluate more. And then there's guys who we won't know if they're really interested in until April. And then there'll be new names who surface. Again, Carolina didn't really talk to RJ Davis until after the first evaluation period last year. So one uh, a player that you know so many of us are excited about to watch next year at UNC, you know, more than a, more than a year ago, they hadn't watched him and it wasn't until may that hubert davis made contact so this stuff changes quickly is the long the short answer of my long-winded rant there um that you know there'll be names that emerge and they'll still sign a good recruiting class i i'm pretty sure yeah definitely i think that's a key aspect that you touched upon there where you know basketball recruiting it is 365 and things can change very, very quickly. I think right now for that 2021 class, you know, you, you've seen some consternation on the basketball premium message board about, well, how come Carolina isn't getting after this guy or who is UNC really going to sign? And Roy Williams, he still has my faith. I think that they will end up signing a good class. Like you mentioned, Sherelle. Looking forward, though, let's go ahead and wrap up the recruiting talk with just a brief outlook on where Coach Williams may be at later on this week, or if that's really known at this point, because after the NC State game on Tuesday, they do have a few games off. So either Sean or Sherelle, I mean, have you guys heard an inkling of where Coach Williams and the staff may be getting out to? Are there any tournaments going on right now that there's some UNC prospects that are playing in those tournaments that Carolina fans need to maybe keep an eye on? Tournament-wise, no, um, not that I'm aware of. I mean, the high school teams are now in their kind of conference tournaments, and then they'll start the state or, you know, uh, conference or um, private school playoffs soon. Um, So they play NC State. uh, That's Tuesday night, correct? Yep. Yeah, so they play NC State on Tuesday night. Um, Right now, it's just high school teams are kind of wrapping up their conference tournaments and going into their state playoffs for public schools. A lot of the private schools have actually finished their seasons. For example, uh, Jaden Bradley, who's a 2022 Carolina recruit and his school, Canyon school in Concord, North Carolina just won a private school state championship. So he's done for the season until AAU starts. Um, but North Carolina uh, will 
more than likely have Wednesday off and they'll probably have Thursday off as well before traveling um, on Friday to Syracuse for a Saturday game. So there's probably a chance that either Wednesday or Thursday, um, Roy Williams will go out on the road and, and recruit. He has said that he wants to get out and see Dontre Styles again. So that's a possibility. And then really anyone who is on the radar or who has an offer is uh, a candidate for a Rollins visit. So that that's something to think about. And, you know, actually, as we're sitting here just talking, it's weird because, you know, it looks like North Carolina, barring the most miraculous ACC tournament run in history, isn't going to make the NCAA tournament. And what that does is it gives North Carolina two extra weeks that it normally wouldn't have to recruit if it chooses. Um, so there's a the recruiting period, I believe, goes all the way through the end of March. So that would be uh, March 31st. And so um, while other teams are in the tournament, Roll Williams can go to practices or go watch games or do in-home visits with players, um, which is something that they haven't had in the past because usually they're in the tournament. So that is um, it's an added benefit he doesn't want or anyone around the program wants, but one they'll get this season. You think uh, you think Roy or the coaching staff will be making any California trips? You know, that remains to be seen. I, I think in <laughs> Sean is referencing Zaire Williams, uh, the, the 2020 wing who for a long time, a lot of people thought was going to North Carolina. And now it's unclear. Um, you know, I don't know. I think they want to wait until they figure out how many scholarships they have before they really, really kind of turn up the heat. Because if they don't have any scholarships, there's, there's no point. Um, but, uh, you know, the timing, you would think if there are any roster um, defections would line up with a potential chance to go see him in late March. So that's a possibility, I would say. Yeah, I mean, they're they're still playing. Uh, they're playing Matter Day, actually, this this week in kind of the Southern California Championship. But, you know, it's been pretty quiet on, on his recruitment between UNC and then it seems, uh, you know, some Pac-12 schools continually get get added to his list. I think there's, you know, four or five of them. I know Stanford was watching this past Friday, but I think, you know, with him and any top 10 player, even, even if they are assigned, there's still the question, especially given this past year of, you know, will these kids go over to Australia or, you know, somewhere else? I think Australia seems to be the the favorite destination given RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball and, and the language. So, you know, I, I think with, even even for the players that are assigned, that that risk uh, still remains for for some of those guys also. All right, good stuff, guys. Let's go ahead and take our very last commercial break. And when we get back, let's wrap up the podcast by discussing the new proposed rule that could affect all of college sports regarding transfers. It's a pretty hot topic right now, so we're just going to get some quick thoughts on it. So stay tuned. We will be right back after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we're back with the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. John Siegler here with Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. So guys, as I mentioned before, we went into the commercial break. Wanted to discuss with you guys the new proposed rule to transfers. For those who haven't seen it yet, it basically can be summarized in this is there's a rule that has been proposed to the NCAA that would allow any player to transfer one time free of any sort of loss of eligibility. And it's something that could have huge, huge implications and impacts on every college sport, really. I feel like most of the media has highlighted football and then basketball as well. And, you know, it, it really is just an interesting topic. So let's wrap up the podcast by discussing that. Sean, I mean, if this rule were to be implemented or even, you know, a variation of it, but the core principle still remained that players could have the ability to transfer one time free of any penalty. I mean, how big do you think that really would be for college sports? I mean, I think it's hard to kind of think of the magnitude of what it could be. I would say it would certainly result in a very chaotic situation. I mean, I think from a UNC basketball perspective, would it be harm? You know, UNC would be one of the few that would most likely benefit from this rule of, of being able to, you know, if it's a mid-major player playing well as a freshman or sophomore or, you know, even somebody that they recruited that didn't get off to a great start. Uh, but at the same time, I think it would extremely, uh, you know, hurt a lot of the mid-major programs as well as, you know, anytime a, maybe a freshman five stars and getting the playing time he deserves, he get, he's just going to transfer right away. There's already been a huge uptick in the number of transfers. And then you add in the, the grad school transfers that have exploded. And, you know, I think this would, kind of turn college sports into more of a free agency um, as well. And there's already been enough problems that the NCAA has struggled to wrap their arms around in terms of the recruiting and recruiting violations in high school and in AAU. And now all of a sudden, you know, you have team or, you know, universities or coaching staffs that are now still recruiting a player while they're on another team. Um, so then, you know, really the recruiting season goes, goes all year long. Um, so I think, you know, it, it would definitely have major implications and kind of create a very chaotic, uh, environment. What about you, Sherelle? What were your thoughts when you saw this rule be proposed? Yeah, it's great for the players. And, you know, I, I think sometimes we forget that we need to take their point of view as well. It's great for them in that, if a coach is fired or if an assistant that they're close with leaves or if the school goes under probation or any you know number of things happen, then they can leave and still play. And what the working committee said basically was that, you know, they, they said people are still transferring even with these restrictions. So why we still have these restrictions? It's not it's not punitive enough and it doesn't really change anything. Um, so, you know, they're not discouraged from transferring. So that's one of the reasons that they adopted the rule. And I think it is, you know, I'm, I'm very much a player advocate, so I think it's great for them. 
Now, if you're running a program, uh, I think it's a little more difficult. You know, on our Slack group, I was talking with Rob Harrington and he was like, you know, they're going to have to have an assistant basically to recruit the current team all over again every season since there's a chance that they could just be like, you know what, I'm good, I'm out. Um, and that's something that coaching staffs will have to worry about. Now, they get paid a lot of money, so, you know, they should be okay with it. Um, that's something to think about. And then, you know, frankly, I think every coach, uh, especially at the level of North Carolina is, will have to have, you know, they say that athletic directors should have a notebook with like their top five football coach choices in their, in their drawer that they can pull out anytime. They should update it like every day. North Carolina will kind of need to have that kind of thing for transfers because, there's a lot of people who, you know, despite what people think, there's a lot of players who would love to play at North Carolina. And particularly in seasons like last year, where there were holes in the in uh, the roster and the construction needed to be a little bit different. Um, you know, that's a chance for, you know, this coaching staff to pull out their little notebook and look at the top 10 guys who, if they wanted to transfer, they would take and, and see if those guys are, are making moves or want to transfer. Uh, I think the issue there, and not from a Carolina perspective, but with a lot of other schools, as Sean said, is going to be the tampering aspect. You know, it's a joke kind of on the message board that when we always, when someone decommits, they're like, oh, you know, I wonder if Carolina's interested. And we're like, usually when a player asks out of their letter of intent or decommits, they probably already know where they're going. Same thing with the reclassification. So, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of back channeling between, uh, you know, high school coaches and people close to different players to see if they're interested. So it's, it's going to be a, a kind of a little um, a, a new black market, so to speak, that will somehow have to be regulated. But in the end, I think overall it's it's good because it's good for the players. Player aspect is something that I definitely agree with you, Sherelle. And I think that anything that gives them more, I hate to use the term power, but I mean, it kind of is, it's power and control over their college careers. I think that overall that is a positive, but you know, for, for the programs themselves, it's a huge, huge, huge unknown and regulation of it is basically going to be almost impossible. I mean, if the NCAA is still trying to get through these you know, potential allegations of players getting paid and everything like that, I just don't see any way that they can actually go through and make sure that a coaching staff did not have inappropriate contact with someone who's trying to transfer. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's no way to do it unless you're going to uh, take every person's phone records who's ever talked to a recruit and go through them and try to figure out if that's from a coach or if, you know, it's just it's just no way. They don't have the manpower nor the resources to to pull that off. So, um, you know, if, if we're talking about, again, from a Carolina perspective, you know, you have to think about, well, why would North Carolina go for a grad transfer in that situation when maybe there's someone at a school who they – offered um, who is looking to transfer or maybe someone they didn't offer who has back channeled to them that they would be interested. You know, there's, there's all that stuff that you have to think about um, if you're a coaching staff and it, it definitely adds a layer of complexity um, that wasn't there before, but in the end it, it's, it's very typical NTA. Um, ben always says it, that they kind of, they have good ideas, but they rush into it and don't think about the execution or any of the ramifications. And this seems like another example of that, because not only are they passing the rule, but they they want to have it in place for the 2021, 2020, 2021 season academic year, which is next year. So they want this to be ready to go next year. And it's just being introduced from the working committee in February of that same year. But, I mean, that's just you need time to work these things out. And. You know, like anything else, I think 
the coaching staffs and administrators will work through it and figure it out. Um, but the first year or two is, is going to be kind of chaotic. Yeah. I mean, the, the NCAA is not often praised for having well thought out and, you know, really fully flushed ideas that are then implemented perfectly. So yeah, I, I can definitely see some hiccups coming with this. But uh, I think that's about going to wrap us up for this week's Coast to Coast podcast, guys. Uh, Unless there's anything else, if not, then we can go ahead and sign off and we will speak again next week, I guess. What what are your predictions for Tuesday? Uh, I think Carolina is going to win. I don't know. There's just something about Roy Williams and NC State. I mean, I thought this was going to be State's year to get the jump on Carolina over there in, in Raleigh and Carolina played one of their best games of the year. So, yeah, I think somehow, some way, UNC will pull it out. What about you, Ralph? Yeah, I, I'm with that. Same way, just like it was with Clemson. And until they do, I'm going to think they don't. So, Yep. Sean? Going with a with a win, but uh, not, not very confident. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's very fair. Well, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap it up with that. Thanks a lot for talking to me, and have a great rest of your weekend. All right, you too. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.